Welcome to the Start Me Up podcast, part of the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. I'm Kimberly, fully vaccinated, fully boosted Johnson in D.C. So excited. Today, my guest is Steve Hofstetter. He's a comedian. He often talks about politics, but not only about politics. He's so funny. I need to laugh. I can't wait to talk to him. But before I do, the Start Me Up podcast is an independent podcast supported by listeners and it's woman run. It's patrons who keep the show going. So I am so grateful for each and every one of you. If you enjoy today's show, visit patreon.com slash start me up. You'll see that I offer a bunch of different tiers, including one that has a much shorter intro and is completely ad free. I do two free shows a week, Mondays and Wednesdays, and they're followed up by What's Up, a show only by me, Whatever I feel like talking about that particular day, it's kind of like a stream of consciousness. Again, just go to patreon.com slash startmeup. Take a look at the different options. You can always upgrade later. You can also find Start Me Up on iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever podcasts are found. Just stop by the iTunes slash Apple podcast store, become a subscriber because it's free. And while you're there, please rate the show and leave a review. Now, please enjoy my conversation with Steve Hofstetter. Welcome to the show, Steve. Thanks for having me, Kimberly. I'm really glad that you're, you're on my show today because you're funny. And I need some funny. <laughs> and, uh, oh, well, that's a, that is a lot of pressure. I, yeah, I do not know if I can deliver that. I'm, I think uh, you can. You know, just going through your Twitter feed is fun. And um, I've got a whole bunch of questions for you. Obviously, you, are, you do tackle politics on Twitter. So we will yes. talk about that in a minute. But first, I'm just going to ask you some basic questions for those of uh, for my listeners who are not familiar with you. And I don't know this this uh, the answer to this question. So how long have you been a working comedian? Um, I have been a stand up comic almost 20 years now. Wow. I think I'm I think I'm 19 in. Um, wow. How long have I been a working comedian? Yeah. I mean, there was about a year and a half recently that I wasn't working, but right. uh, I think we all had that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, yeah, but but even then, I was still doing digital shows. Yeah. So, yeah, the pandemic was uh, obviously it was very you know odd and awful for everybody. Mm-hmm. But the my record previous to that between shows was fourteen days. Hmm. Wow. And like I I like to work. I would typically do three hundred shows a year. And it was 398 days between in-person shows during the pandemic. Wow. So that was, That's a yeah, lot. Quite, yeah, quite going from time. 14 to 398. Wow. That yeah, narrowly <laughs> eclipsed my record. <laughs> so you say you like doing it. Obviously you do and you're good at it. What is it that you like about it? Ooh, um, you know, everything from being able to see the world on someone else's dime mm-hmm. to, <laughs> uh, you know, to... I, I, I've said that my favorite stand-up is the is the people, and my least favorite thing about stand-up is the people. <laughs> yeah. It just depends on the people, but it is – there are so many things I love about it, and, you know, one of them is being able to use laughter as a means of communication mm-hmm. and to see to see people getting what I'm doing is a lot of fun. Yeah. I originally – one of my career paths was going to be a teacher – and so being able to accomplish what I wanted to do there, but from stage and with a lot more F-bombs is something <laughs> I enjoy. So the predictable question is, were you a funny kid? <laughs> um, and, yeah, and the, uh, I guess the unpredictable answer or predictable <laughs> if you know stand-up is no. Um, I, was not, I was not a funny kid. Huh. I, well, depends who you ask. I had... You know, I'm the youngest of four, and 
my brother who, you know, I definitely took after a lot when it came to sense of humor, what I found funny was four and a half years older than me and skipped a grade. Hmm. So he was basically academically, he was five years in front of me. And so my sense of humor was never for my age group. Mm -hmm. I was someone, you think the average 13-year-old enjoys puns? Absolutely not. And so, you know, there was, like, I was was always, on one hand, you know, I'm punching above my weight class. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, I'm completely missing who I'm swinging at. And so it, it took a while. It wasn't until kind of later in high school that I started being seen as funny. Mm -hmm. And then it wasn't until college that that cemented. Hmm. And then after college, when I started doing stand up for real, when it became a thing of like, Oh, this is a funny person. Mm -hmm. It like it, it took a while Hmm. to catch up to where I was supposed to be. Wow. Well, you know, it's funny. I asked that because I used to be an actor and my acting coach always used to tell me that I should do stand up. And there's just no way in hell I could I could never be a stand-up comedian. And I, I am very flattered that he thought I was funny and I could be funny, but not like a stand-up comedian is funny. And, you know, I mean, I, I really love with stand-up comedians, I absolutely adore how you guys can take just everyday situations that we don't even think about, highlight them and point out, you know, whether it's hypocrisy or whatever it is, just taking little things from our life and I'm just not very good at that. So, and plus, also, I could never, ever, ever, ever do the stand-up life. I'm such a like I'm such a homebody, and I like to be home at night. So it's like it's just so not for me. So I always applaud comedians because I can only imagine how, even if it's like second nature to you, um, how difficult that would be. Even if you're enjoying that lifestyle, I mean, do you find the life? I mean, even if you enjoy it, do you do you find the lifestyle difficult? Difficult, or does it just like fit with who you are? Well. I mean, no one, I don't think anyone comes to it naturally Mm -hmm. because even if you are genuinely funny and quick-witted and great off the cuff, even if you're a wonderful writer and very funny in your writing, to be able to learn all of that, put it together, Mm -hmm. takes years. Mm -hmm. It is a combination of writing, acting, and ad lib. Every comic Every comic is at least one of the three. Every good comic is at least two of the three. Hmm. But it's very rare when someone is all three. Yeah. And it is it is unnatural almost to be all three. Yeah. And so you have to learn the one or two of those that you are weaker at to wow. you know, not to mention polishing the one that you're natural at. Right. Wow, so interesting. So, I mean, I just, I've never, I mean, I've had, I'm trying to think. Well, I've had Jen Kirkman on the show. Um, oh, Jen's great. Yeah. She and I did Ferguson the same day. Oh, really? I, yeah, I absolutely love her. She's so funny. In fact, I just watched her I'm Gonna Die Alone special the other night on uh, on Netflix. So, do you have anything on Netflix or do you have any, what, what are the specials that you have up or do you? So, I have two on Amazon. Um, I have one called Ginger Kid and one called Secret Optimist. And I'm actually shooting my new one um, on December 18th at my old grade school. Oh, really? Um, yeah. So the the material I've been working on is a pretty big departure from what I've been doing. It's it's more of a stand-up infused one-man show. Uh-huh. It, you know, I don't even like saying one-man show because so many of them are so awful. But <laughs> the 
like it is it is designed more to be like a movie it's mm-hmm. designed more to be like something that you can watch over and over again on this current tour when i finally got back out on the road on may in may people watch you know, between two and ten shows hmm. and the design of it is that there's character arc and there's plot and there's twists and stuff like that and so but it's all about growing up and loss and finding yourself and that I figured there's no better place to do that than my actual old mm. grade school, which is the first <laughs> stage I ever really stood on to do theater. So. Oh, wow. And you said that those are on the, the other two are on Amazon. Yes. Awesome. Yes. I'm going to have to check those out. as well as YouTube. You can get them on YouTube, too. Oh, cool. Awesome. I'm going to be watching. OK, so now let's get to the politics thing. You choose to comment on politics. And so, yes, I you know, I'm sure you've gotten this question before. Every actor gets it who chooses to um, talk about it publicly. But have you always been political? What drives you as far as a comedian and what made you decide? I mean, I think we see more comedians talk about politics than we see actors talk about politics so maybe there's less of uh you know threat that you're gonna lose people but i mean what drives you to talk about politics well yeah because you can be a very politically active comedian or a very politically active actor but then you're cast in a show that's designed for the mainstream Mm -hmm. and then you kind of got to suck it up or risk losing your job yeah whereas with a comedian i want the people who get what I'm doing to come see me. And so it's part of my brand. Um, You know, whenever somebody says to me, oh, you're losing half your audience. I was like, do you say that to a dress store? (laughs) Oh, you're only selling dresses. What about all the people who don't want dresses? Like, well, they can shop next door, you moron. (laughs) So it's, you know, it's part of my brand. I have always been political. Um, Sometimes I'll get comments about like, oh, I liked you before you became political. I'm like, what'd you do? You liked my material when I was nine? (laughs) Like, I've been... I've been actively vocally political since I was in high school. And Hmm. so it's come more to the forefront lately because it's become more important lately. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't as loud about politics in 2012 because I was in the majority. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to be as vocal when when people around you already agree with you. You're Mm -hmm. not trying to make any points that aren't already being made. And so... The last couple of years, I've become much more political, and there was something that I put out um, last summer during, you know, uh, the BLM marches, mm-hmm. and it, it was it was something basically saying, like, to my fellow comedians, if you are worried that being pro-human rights is negatively affecting your brand, your brand sucks. <laughs> So either yes. admit that your brand is a piece of shit <laughs> or realize that you can be honest about what you believe. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's awesome. What kind of responses did you get? I mean, did you get any comedians responding to you? Yeah, I got a, I got a bunch of comedians I knew asking me about it and mm. asking me about, you know, like, what, what does this mean for me career-wise? This is something that, you know, they've been thinking about doing. They've been thinking about being more vocal and is there blowback and mm-hmm. have you lost work and et cetera, et cetera. And what I would do is I would show them my statistics on my social media where, hmm. you know, last summer I was gaining probably 4,000 new followers a day. Wow. And I was just showing them that and being like, hey, look, <laughs> it's actually good for business to be a decent human being. So. <laughs> yeah. You, you really have no excuse at this point. Like you, 
I understand, and again, I understand if you're an actor, I don't agree with being silent about it, but I understand where that comes from. Mm-hmm. You've, you're working for a large corporation that is probably afraid of this kind of stuff. Right. But when you're a comic, all you got to do is be able to sell tickets. You can rent a damn warehouse and sell mm-hmm. tickets. Right. And so if you're a comic and you're not honest about it, you're a coward. Wow. That's awesome. And I love, I mean, you know, it's funny when I was working, I was uh, an actor on Days of Our Lives for a while and there were certain people, this was back, you know, I'd say I'm remembering back to at least 2000. I started in 95, but it was like literally in December of 95. And then I worked through not all the time, but I would show up every once in a while. And I think it was around the 2000s. So it was after the Bush v. Gore situation and people were mm-hmm. a little bit more vocal, but there were a couple people on the show that were conservative. And I thought, I thought it was interesting because they weren't shy of uh, letting everybody know. I'm just being in the makeup room and there were a couple of them talking. So there was like a whole bunch of actors in the makeup room and there were two of them talking and they were conservatives and they were talking in such a way that we could all hear. And it was yeah. funny to me because I did not hear anybody liberal. I only heard conservatives. And I thought that was, it was just like, you know, I, I mean, I, I was just low, low, low on the totem pole on that show. So I wasn't going to bring up anything about politics, but I just thought, huh. And that seems to be the thing in at least that I've experienced in personal situations where conservatives will say things that they're almost like taunting you, they're poking you, or they're daring you to say something. But liberals usually don't. And so I think that's kind of interesting where you'd have comedians who were a little nervous to say something. I think a lot of times conservatives just want to throw it in your face and, and they go they walk right up to you like, hey, you know, conservative this. And, you know, and you're just like, uh, uh. <laughs> and and well, I don't know, it's I, kind of funny. Yeah, I, and I don't entirely disagree with the premise, although I I do make a distinction between a conservative and and a right wing person. I I agree with you. I t- these people were conservative. Yeah, like I have I have no problem arguing with someone whether or not classical or Keynesian economics is better. Yes. I I have my strong viewpoints of it, and I don't understand why classical economists still have jobs. But <laughs> I I'm fine with someone disagreeing on that. It's yeah. economic policy, and that's fine because our goals are the same. Mm-hmm. The the people that I have a problem with are the people whose goals are different. Mm-hmm. And the difference being that the, the way I see it, and, and I'm not talking about extremists on either side, mm-hmm. but the way I see it is the majority of the left is, or the majority of the right is saying, I just want what's best for me and my family. Mm-hmm. It's hard to argue with that. Mm-hmm. But the majority of the, the majority of the left is saying, I want what's best for as many families as possible. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the big difference. Mm -hmm. And I vehemently disagree with the people who just want what's best for them and theirs without realizing that there are other people at play here. Um, I do think going back to what you were saying about being so vocal is, yeah, it it is very interesting to me that it's the same way that like there are no Biden flags on trucks. There are no, or on Subarus, you know, if you want to go with the stereotype, there are no, there aren't people naming their kids, Joe, like there is, I mean, there are, but 
you know, more likely for, you know, Namath than, than for, you know, or, or uh, Manganella. But the, the idea of like this cultish support yeah. and this, this belief that everyone agrees with me and thus I'm having, I, I can say this with no problem, that is a thing that is more common on the right than the left. Mm-hmm. Although there is also a large part of the left that has begun acting like that as well. Mm-hmm. And I do believe that politics are a circle. If you go far enough mm-hmm. left, you are far right. Yeah. The horseshoe. It's the horseshoe theory. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, absolutely. If you go far enough left, yeah, you're touching the right. I totally agree with you there. Um, so who are some of your favorite political people to mock? So it doesn't mean it doesn't mean just elected officials. Anybody. Who are your favorite to mock and why? <laughs> I mean, the easiest to mock is Kevin Sorbo. Like, <laughs> I know, isn't it? <laughs> I was doing this thing on my Twitter for a while called Sundays with Sorbo. <laughs> Where I would just, you know, once a week, I would just post a screenshot of a reply to him. And it just became this thing. And eventually, people started buying cameos from Kevin Sorbo complimenting me. Because he'll do anything for money. He won't bother researching what he's talking about, what he's saying, etc. And so that... That was the punchline. Oh my you know, God. that's the end of the bit right there. You can't you can't oh top God. that. And so so I stopped doing the bit, but I still enjoy it. And every time he trends for saying something stupid, which is about, you know, once every a month, uh, people will tag me in it. I think just yesterday there was something. Yes. People were yeah, people were tagging me in it. Um so I enjoy I enjoy mocking him. I enjoy uh uh Trump Jr. Yeah. Because Everything he says is about him without him realizing it's about him. Like all the stuff he says about nepotism and right. Biden and all the stuff. And I'm just like, but you're you. You're you. Um, and then for elected officials, I mean, there there is no one better to troll than Lauren Boebert because right. she just doesn't get that. Like there was actually once where she replied to me. And it was it did not go well for her because um, she replied to me. The, the basic premise was she said something about, um, you know, Tony Blair's opinion of Joe Biden shows just how much he's not respected by world leaders. And I wrote back and I said, Tony Blair hasn't been a world leader since 2007. <laughs> and, and she had said something about former prime minister Tony Blair. And so I said since 2007. And she missed my point. She mm-hmm. missed the point that I was making, which was he doesn't have a say in current world politics. Yeah. And, like, not only is he a former prime minister from a while back, but he also resigned. Mm-hmm. His party <laughs> asked him to resign. And so um, she then replied, basically thinking that she got me, mm-hmm. saying, that's why I said former. And I had called her in my reply. I'd called her a troglodytic, a troglodytic simpleton, <laughs> and so she called that. She called me that back, which was definitely copy and pasted. There's right. no way she knew how to spell troglodytic. No. <laughs> but I then replied to her, and I said, "My point was that it was a long time ago. 2007 was so long ago that your husband was still showing his dick to underage girls." <laughs> and that's where she stopped replying. So. Uh, yeah, oh I, God, I definitely enjoy 
uh, I enjoy coming at her. And then Ted and, Cruz. Uh, I like oh, I like Ted Cruz. Madison Cawthorn too. Oh, Madison Cawthorn and Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz is yeah, so Ted, easily mockable. Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz is such the the thing that bothers me the most about Ted Cruz is that he is actually a, an incredibly smart person, mm-hmm. and this is all purposeful. It's all right. strategic. Yes. Like Bobert is an idiot who is capitalizing on hate. Yeah. Cawthorn is an idiot who is capitalizing mm-hmm. on hate. Louis Gohmert mm-hmm. is dumber than <laughs> half of each of them. But Ted Cruz is actually a very smart mm-hmm. person who just believes whatever he's paid to believe. Yeah, he just, yeah, exactly. I mean, we all know we saw Trump call his wife ugly and say that his father killed JFK and uh, he didn't like him initially and then he crawled right up his ass. So, yeah, I mean, it's obvious who he is and he's just so disgusting. I, you know, I, I one time tweeted or I, I tweeted out the hashtag Ted Cruz has no balls. And I don't know if this is true, but I, this account who like tells you when hashtags originated told me that I originated that hashtag. So I don't know if I actually did, but I'm just going to go with it because <laughs> I oh, love it and I use yeah. it every chance I get. <laughs> take, take credit for that. That's a, that's a winner. Um, okay, so now I want to ask you, and I did see you have a video on your um, on your tweet uh, wall about Bobert, which I highly recommend. I think everybody should go over. You just like list every what is it? You list all of her crimes or or the things that she's. Well, I I basically I do these videos that some people call them explainer videos, uh-huh. but it is it's basically it, you know it's it's instructional. Uh-huh. Um, I take people through her criminal history there you go um i take people through her hypocrisy um you know everything from where she got her start which was the reason her restaurant was successful was due to a lie like there was a guy who overdosed on meth a couple blocks away from the restaurant Mm -hmm. and she spun this story that she watched the guy get beaten by someone else and Mm -hmm. that's why it's so important for her staff to carry weapons all the time. And it's like, no, there was a tweaker in Rifle, Colorado. That's not rare. (laughs) Um, And so it basically takes people from that through how she got notoriety, how she got elected, um, the actual details of her illegal tour of the Capitol before January 6th. Um, And it pretty much just puts everything that we tweet about in one place. Mm It's, you know, it's a, in less than 10 minutes, you can learn everything you need to know about why Lauren Boebert must be and can be mm-hmm. defeated. Wow. Um, and my next, my next one coming out, actually, I just recorded is about Greg Abbott. Awesome. When are you coming out with that one? Um, it's, it's being edited right now. So I would guess probably within a, within a week or two. Yay. Well, I'll be looking forward to that. All right, so now I want to ask you about, uh, you did a tweet, and I'm looking on my notes here, so you just give me a second, but you did a, t- a tweet thread on anti-Semitism. It's, you're talking about where you say someone interrupted you in one of your shows to yell a joke, in quotes, about how Jewish people control TV. So you wrote all about that. Would you fill us in? Because that was an interesting story. Thank you. So there's a lot of history there. So it was, I think, probably about four years ago, Um, I was doing a show and I do this joke where it was talking about the rise of current Nazis and making fun of, of the idea of patriotic Nazis. Mm -hmm. And, and it talked, you know, and I was talking about Charlottesville and 
there's a part of the joke where I discuss the people in Charlottesville chanting, Jews will not replace us. And the line in the joke is, what job do you have that you're afraid Jews are coming for you? We don't want to work at Hobby Lobby. We good. <laughs> now, the joke there is that Hobby Lobby is a Christian company mm -hmm. that espouses, quote unquote, Christian ideals. In their mission statement, they mm -hmm. specifically say they want all of their employees to be Christian. It's ridiculous. And so the joke there is that you work for a place that Jewish people don't want to work for. <laughs> So when I said, what job do you have, someone yelled out TV. Mm. So this was in Vancouver. This was not, you know, in some rural small town in America. This was Vancouver. Now, the rest of the crowd turned on the guy instantly. And I'll be honest, I got angry. And I'm not usually angry when someone interrupts. I mm -hmm. usually handle it by making fun of them and move on. But this one I was angry because it was just – a lifetime of hearing that. Yeah. Just that coupled with a guy interrupting using that. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, I yelled at the guy. So I had posted the clip again, this is all four years ago. Uh, some neo Nazi blogs picked it up. Um, the Daily Stormer <laughs> ran an article where, how uncensored is this? Can I can I say? Oh, you can say anything. Words. Yeah, you can okay. say anything. The Daily Stormer ran an article where the first two words of the article were "kike comedian." <sighs> so, and you know, it was about me, and that was their main. It was right. like the main thing on on their website. Mm -hmm. uh, and I had hundreds of death threats and just some really really awful stuff. Um, ended up talking to the FBI about their. They have you know ongoing investigations about hate crimes, including cyber stuff. And so I ended up talking to them um, and, you know, at the recommendation of a U.S. attorney. Um, and uh, it, it just – it was a whole thing. Mm -hmm. I, did a, I did a video about that. And, you know, I admit I was absolutely not at my best when I replied. Mm -hmm. um, I then did a video about that explaining the whole story, including giving the history of what that trope is. Mm -hmm. The Jews control Hollywood trope is direct Nazi propaganda from Hitler. Mm -hmm. It was started by Hitler because Hitler was jealous of the film industry. If you look at, you know, he he created, I think it was like a thousand movies in a couple of years, which the joke in that video is, what are you, porn? Like, <laughs> write a script. Right. Um, but the whole reason that Jews were in the television and film industry in the beginning is because it was a fringe industry and we weren't allowed to participate mm -hmm. in other industries. So it is doubly offensive because, first of all, Jewish people didn't go into TV or film to control a narrative. Right. We went there because we couldn't get other jobs. Hmm. And then after that, the Nazis pushed this propaganda that we were controlling the narrative, and then that allowed the narrative to be controlled. Mm -hmm. And so it is absolutely awful and offensive. Mm -hmm. But of course, that's not how anti-Semites take it. That's not how white supremacists take it. And this whole thing I thought was behind me. And then a couple days ago, uh, a Twitter account that I don't understand how it's allowed to be a Twitter account because everything on it is either anti-Semitic or you know virulently racist. And... And blatantly, mm -hmm. no codes, no dog whistles, mm -hmm. like just openly. And so they sliced a piece of the video out, just the part where I got mad. Um, they said that I was saying that um, white people shouldn't have jobs except for retail. 
which Hobby Lobby has a lot of people who are executives. It's not just a retail right. company. <laughs> and it's also had nothing to do with white people. It was about white supremacists. Mm-hmm. That's not the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and it went viral in the anti-Semitic community, which oh I didn't realize was such a strong and tight-knit community. Yeah. And uh, it just, you know, it started coming up on my social media again. So I just addressed it head on and just explained to them that, like, all you guys are doing is giving me more engagement. <laughs> like, it's so easy to mute you idiots. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and also it's very easy for not just me, but 150,000 of my followers to report these accounts. Yes. Um, and, you know, and so that's the, I know it's a long one, but that's the story. Well, it's interesting. And actually we have something in common there because I had a poorly worded tweet. I'm not even going to get into it because I just can't. But uh, it was picked up by the right. And it was back in 2018, and I was on the cover of everything. I was on the cover of Fox News. I was on the cover of Daily Stormer. So um, I, y- you and I share that. Um, but, you yeah. know, I mean, it was just, it was basically, uh, again, perhaps I could have worded it better. No liberals at all attacked me, only the right-wingers. And it was just miserable for about three days, and then it went away because I just chose to ignore it. But it's terrible when they go after you, and I can't even imagine what that must have been like for you, especially when they selectively, you know, edit and and take things out of context, which we're seeing yeah, more the, of. The the scary part for me isn't a bunch of idiots writing dumb things in mm-hmm. my replies. I don't care. Mm-hmm. It's you know I have my settings so that I don't see that stuff unless I want to anyway. But the the scary thing for me is that. It is rising mm-hmm. outside of Twitter. Yes. Like, you know, Dave Chappelle on his special, one of the things that he said that to me was incredibly stupid was he said that people are angry at him on Twitter, but he doesn't care because Twitter is not a real place. Mm-hmm. It absolutely is mm-hmm. because Twitter is filled with real people. Yeah. And every one of those people, and I'm sure there were some bots, but mm-hmm. every one of those people is a real person with a real job at mm-hmm. a real place, living under a real roof, um, raising real children, mm-hmm. teaching them really awful things. Mm-hmm. And that's what bothers me. I don't give a shit about my replies. What bothers me is that this stuff's real. Yeah, well, you know what? I, I, I don't even think this was on my list, but because this is a downer question, but I'm going to ask it okay. to you anyway. Um, sure. I feel like I'm really scared. You know, I'm scared because you're absolutely right. White supremacy is on the rise. It's not, you know, I mean, I, I, you get corrected on Twitter if you say white supremacy is on it's on the rise. They're like, it never, it was never gone. It was always there. I know it was always there. It's always been there, but that's not the point. The point is people feel more emboldened now. We're seeing more violent behavior. We're seeing like Madison Cawthorn, Cawthorn call for a civil and holy war. And, yeah. you know, we're, we're, we're barreling toward 2022 with no Voting Rights Act. And so one of my main concerns, and this is what I, this is the downer question. My main concern is like, my boyfriend is Bob Seska. He has a political podcast. He's liberal. I've got my political podcast. I don't think that if the, if the right-wingers win or steal or whatever, take power, that we're going to be able to continue doing this for a living. Do you feel like your job is at risk with this current political, uh, you know, fucking hellscape we're living in? (laughs) 
I don't I don't think so. Um, I think that I was genuinely scared before the the 2020 election. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, so much that I considered, you know, can I go abroad for a yes. couple of months and, see <laughs> yes. if, you know, see how things shake out. Yeah. And I mean, they always say, if you don't like it, leave, you know, right. yeah, maybe it's not the worst idea, but the, I, I think that it is very possible that we could descend into fascism. We've seen it happen in other places before the, I think it would be very – almost all of entertainment is progressive. Mm-hmm. From television to movies to singers to sports. And sports, by the way, that's the craziest one because mm-hmm. sports was always super conservative. Mm-hmm. And even that is getting progressive. And so it's because younger people are always more progressive than the people who came before them. Yeah. On average, right. not every single young person. And so, yeah, if voting gets suppressed as much as it looks like it might, as, you know, if the courts continue to be packed, et cetera, et cetera, yeah, it is very possible that we could descend into a bit of a hellscape. Mm-hmm. But A, we are one country. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, we're not even a very populated country when it compares to a lot of other places in the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand that nationalism is on the rise in a lot of places, but pushback is also on the rise. And part of it, and what I'm hoping for, is a comic that I work with a lot, Chris Bowers, he has said something that I really like, which is that this is racism's death rattle. Wow. This, this is it getting louder before it dies. <sighs> now, it is possible that... It might be too late. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, just demographics are shifting so much that it is hard for me to believe that that could actually happen. Mm-hmm. We still have to fight it as if it would. Mm-hmm. But it is hard for me to believe that the amount of influence and power that people who believe in progressive causes have mm-hmm. would just be vanished. Well, I, I recently posted there should be, you know, we should have some kind of groundswell movement against white supremacy. And um, last, it was 2019, I think it was the early 2019, I was thinking, you know, right before the 2020 election, I was thinking, okay, we need, you know, we would be served well to have a, like a, a modern live aid kind of thing concert whatever you whatever it would be because it doesn't have to be a concert it doesn't have to be like live aid but just inspired by the fact that you know they came together to raise funds we could raise funds maybe for aclu whatever but the whole point would be to i guess there's all like half the country doesn't vote half the country i, I spoke to a girl on saturday this young girl at the grocery store because i always tell everybody they have to vote she was telling me how she didn't think voting mattered. And it was like, here I am at the grocery store and I don't have a lot of time. And I don't want to like yeah. be preaching to her, but she seemed open. And so I, I said to her, I said, are you aware of, of the states that are working really hard to suppress certain people's votes? And she said, yes. 
And I said, well, if voting didn't matter, why would they go to all that trouble? And she was like, oh. Great point. You know, what, you know, what, huh? I saw, and, and I just said, you know, and, I, and I'm like, look, I don't want to, like, yell at you or <laughs> preach to you. I, I just, I really want you to understand why it's important to vote. And I, I recommend, and she was a young black woman, and I told her, I said, as a young black woman, you know, you have fewer rights than most people in this country. And I said, uh, everybody has to come together to make sure to change that. And, you know, and, and she, she understood what I was saying. And she, I mean, she was really sweet and she was open to it. And I was hoping that I got through to her and I don't know if I did because, she, you know, she was young. So her, her ideology at this point, I don't think has been cemented, but it, it was still, it's like, oh, please, please, please. Anyway, I'm going off on a tangent. Um, I don't know. I, I, I hope that we can figure this out. I used to live in Russia. I've said this a million times, so I don't want to bore my listeners. But I lived in Soviet Russia in 1980-81, and I saw communism. And even though I know we are not going to turn into Soviet Russia, I do believe that it's easier than most Americans think uh, to... I, I, I mean, it didn't take long to go from where we were in 2012. You know, I mean, 2012 to now, so much has changed. So many, I mean, we had emboldened people with Obama, but with Trump, it was even worse. What were you going to say? Oh, just the idea that whenever anybody says, oh, it couldn't possibly happen, and, and you know, and they'll say, well, it's different now. But if you look at pictures of Baghdad in the 1950s, mm-hmm. you know, Baghdad looked like London. <laughs> you know, if you if you look at pictures of, you know, Germany in in the early 20s like but also when you look at both directions um Germany went from fascism to pacifism in a generation Hmm. and so it's possible to right the ship also it's possible to fix things also it is you just you know you need the right leadership and honestly I think the biggest thing that the left is doing wrong is thinking that the way you win an election is by catering to the middle. Mm-hmm. The middle uh, yes. doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. There is no middle. There is the right, the left, and the apathy. Mm-hmm. Oh, so the true. Way, the way that you win an election is you run candidates that inspire people to vote. And the reason that Terry McAuliffe lost in Virginia is because Terry McAuliffe is an old, centrist, boring white guy. Mm-hmm. And it's enough. And and people who don't vote aren't going to rush to the polls to support Terry McAuliffe. Mm-hmm. And that is the thing that the left keeps missing. And that was the – I, I got to say, I do like a lot of the things that Biden has done. However, he was, I think, my 17th choice of people who were running. I know. Me too. <laughs> and, you know, Harris might have been my ninth – it was and, – and the way that happened was it was political influence coming together to play the game, to unite behind one specific candidate. And the only reason Biden won, if you look at down-ballot races, Biden won because people were voting against Trump. Yes. And had, had almost anyone else in that field had run, I think the Senate would be different. I think the Congress would be different. Mm. Because I think that more people, even though it was you know record numbers, I still think more people would have come out and voted because they would have been electrified. It would have been like yeah. 2008. 
Right. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, you know, there's the whole argument we shouldn't need to have someone that inspires us, but we do, especially with like the social media world and, you know, things happening so quickly all the time. Everything's like firing at us. We need something that's going to hold our attention. And we do. It's not that we necessarily need a superstar, but we need to be inspired. We need be. And unfortunately, with the right, they don't necessarily need to be inspired. So many people didn't like Trump until he became the nominee and then they all lined up behind him. We don't do that. And you're absolutely right. I wrote I wrote a blog post about how Biden was not going to be the nominee. And I knew so much. (laughs) And but I can see why he was. He was the safe older white man that that like the uh, Republicans and some independents who are more conservative felt comfortable voting for. He had that whole grandfatherly thing. And, you know, unfortunately, patriarchy is still a real thing in this country. And the idea of an older fatherly grandfatherly man is comfortable and familiar and i think people went with that but i absolutely agree that if there were another person on that ticket that it might have been more beneficial for that down ticket but i guess we'll never know and i don't know what's going to happen in 2024 i know that there was a a thing today on twitter i don't know if you saw but it was trending that uh something about and, and and i think it was literally coming from uh a, a, a rag, but I'm not positive. Oh, about the, the Telegraph thing. Yes, yeah, Telegraph. About, yes. about Harris. Yeah, I actually replied to that because the they had credited. So they had basically said that Harris can't run because their approval rating is too low. So who else are they going to get? And they hear from Whispers in Washington. And mm-hmm. I replied and I said, Whispers in Washington, while a great band name, is not a source <laughs> for a fucking journalistic piece. <laughs> Like, stop it. The The reason there are whispers are because of idiots like them. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I am fed up with people who say that, you know, and the Telegraph isn't one of them. They're, you know, that's a rag. But mm-hmm. the, the, the people who say, and, and you see this with CNN and MSNBC all the time, mm-hmm. the people who go, oh, we need to fix this country. So why don't we do a puff piece rehabbing the image of this right-wing asshole? Mm-hmm. We need to fix this country. So why don't we legitimize Donald Trump's campaign? It is – the media is not a monolith. Mm-hmm. We are – I mean you and I are both pieces of the media in mm-hmm. different ways. It's not one decision that they make, but there are so many members of the media who do not accept responsibility for what they have done to this country in the name of making a little bit of money. Mm. So true, so true, and so incredibly frustrating. And also, I think, you know, Kamala is a woman, and her skin is darker, and so they're going, we're going to see more and more attacks on her as the midterms approach, as 24 approaches. I mean, you know, I heard somebody asked Biden, I think early on, if he was going to run in 2024, and he said he was. Uh, you know, yeah. I don't I don't know what's going to happen in 24. There was a whole. I mean, <laughs> he, he, he was already, when elected, he was already the oldest person yeah. to have ever served as president. I mm-hmm. I can't imagine that. Like I can't imagine that. And look, he's a gaff-prone guy. Yeah. Um. And and the idea of you know he has dementia, but he's also a cold, calculating mastermind right, is exactly. hilarious to me. <laughs> but he's going to. It's only going to get worse. Yeah. Um. I you know and and ironically, Harris is going to be attacked for her gender and mm-hmm. for her skin color. Mm-hmm. 
And what's crazy to me is the reason I don't like her is because she's a cop. And it's it's not just that, you know, look, I, I don't believe that, you know, all cops are bastards. I do believe there are good cops. Mm-hmm. But I don't believe that the person that we should have in charge of a progressive movement is someone who has knowingly put innocent people in jail because it was good for her career. That's what lost me on Harris. Hmm. Now, I'll still take that over any of these Mm -hmm. idiots on the right, but that's not what we need right now. We need someone who actually has a clean record of progress, and that ain't her. Well, you know, I mean, it'll be interesting to see what happens in 2024. If he, if he, you know what, if he is still, you know, kicking and doing his thing and he's behaving like he's behaving right now, he could very easily. And who was it? I think it was David Pepper. I think it was David Pepper who was on my podcast last and he was saying, um, you know, presidents who have, well, we'll see what happens with the, with the build back and what he does, but who have good records, especially, you know, the incumbents always get reelected. Um, I think we're in different times right now. So to go back on history and go, oh, well, this happened before, so it's going to happen again. I don't think we're in the clear to say that just because everything has changed. Um, But I do see that, you know, there is a possibility if he's if he's keeping people happy, um, then, yeah, he could get reelected. But is he going to run again? And that's that's the question, which leads me to my next question. Now, I'm sure you've seen all the chatter about. Merrick Garland, and I don't know what your take is on him, so I'm, I'm curious to know, as far as the DOJ, Trump indictments and whatnot, because there's a lot of people on there, I mean, even Lawrence Tribe, I think, who was um, Merrick Garland's professor, um, is like, hey, you, you need to do more. Um, then there's the whole, and then, uh, you know, like uh, Alison Gill of Mueller, she wrote, is yeah. convinced that there's a psych- psyop against Merrick Garland because it's it would divide us and make us apathetic. So where do you stand on all of this? Um, I, I don't know if there's, you know, a, a coordinated effort, but I do as, as someone who has very little training in constitutional law, <laughs> um, I, I just look at the idea that he has been in his position for over a year. We, have a very good chance of losing the majority in Congress in 2022. We don't have much time. Mm-hmm. Get to work. Mm-hmm. Like, I, and I understand the idea of like, oh, there's a whole lot to do and this is a really big deal and there are a whole bunch of things. The idea, and it's not just Merrick Garland, but why did it take six months to form the January 6th commission? Mm-hmm. Why did it take like the bureaucracy, the sloth-like speed the urgency of returning your neighbor's ma- junk mail. Like, that is not the rate that we need to be going at right now. We need to, they have the money, hire the goddamn staff if you need to, to, to pour through everything and to bring the charges on the people who deserve them. Now, I'm not saying everyone deserves them, mm-hmm. but the idea that it took, what, three weeks to get Bannon in? That's the second you violate that, go arrest him. That's how crime works. Go arrest him. Don't let him do more crime in the meantime. And so I do think that I don't know why. I can I, I am not a conspiracy theorist. I, I you know, I, I don't think that he is part of some vast conspiracy. I just think that he's gotta do his job faster. And the and not just him, he's the name we know, but there's a lot of other people in that office. And they've all got to work a lot harder and a lot faster while there's still time. 
So correct me if I'm wrong, because I could be wrong. I'm certainly probably, uh, I know less than you do about any of this. But from my understanding, uh, they needed to take they needed to take that decision to a grand jury and the grand jury only meets a couple of times a week. And now I know that he basically, it was very simple. He just, he said, I'm not going to show up. And that's really all they had to vote on. But from, and, and, and I see, this is where I, this is where I get confused, but I know that there was some guy who had just been, um, who had just started, I think it was a week or so before or a week after uh, the, the committee turned over their thing to the to the this is where I get all confused whether it's to Merrick Garland or whoever it's going to go to um, but then it has to go to a grand jury and they have to decide and that's why I'm, I'm assuming it took a little bit longer and also Allison Gill was on my show and she had said something about there was a woman back in the 1980s who I think they got her you know she declined a subpoena and eight days later they arrested her and eventually they they lost what they were doing. And I guess the idea here is that the DOJ does not want to make a mistake and and have someone get off on a technicality. Now, oh, abs- absolutely. But also be prepared ahead of time for these people to reject subpoenas because yes, they have yes, been yes. openly saying they're going yeah. to. And not only that, if they meet a couple times a week, it shouldn't take three. Like what what I'm saying is it didn't seem to me like there was a sense of urgency. Mm-hmm. And again, I don't work there. I don't know. Yeah. But that is one example of many, many things that seem to be taking forever mm-hmm. and shouldn't be because right now might be the only shot we have. Yeah, and I mean, I'm totally there with you. I am totally there. And I'm sure the DOJ would argue, well, we're not – politically motivated and that's fine they don't they shouldn't be politically motivated but as you and i have been talking about white supremacy is on the rise and this is not just about typical democrat and republican you know disagreements this is completely different this is about an insurrection attack on our capital and um so it's it's you know yeah this isn't the the same way that like i mean covid's not political Mm -hmm. right but it's been made it's been made so Mm -hmm. um the the reason why we were able to get to a vaccine in under a year is because we moved mountains because our lives were at stake yeah right exactly yeah so what i'm saying is political or not it's and again difference between a conservative and someone on the right and someone on all the way on the right the idea that anyone in the middle ground of conservatism or in, you know anyone who's a Reagan Republican or whatever they want to label themselves mm-hmm. doesn't see Q as an existential threat mm-hmm. and doesn't see disinformation right, as an existential yes. threat. And like no matter who you are, if you deservedly have your job at the Department of Justice, you need to be able to recognize what's happening right now. And you need to be able to investigate it. You need to be able to indict people. Yeah. You need to be able to move things forward and not take six damn months to make a committee to investigate a committee. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm going to agree with you on that. And I know that things take some time. But, yeah, that point about COVID and the vaccine is absolutely 100% correct. We figured that out quickly. This needs to be figured out quickly. Now, the last question I have for you is mm-hmm. – how are you I mean you've kind of answered it in a way but how are you feeling about the 2022 elections are you feeling confident or do you think we're gonna we're gonna lose and if we lose if Democrats lose our slim majority in uh, the Senate or if we just lose the House or however it goes 
What do you think we're in for up to 2024? I'm feeling so confident that I've investigated how to apply for visas in other countries. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, no, I, I'm not feeling confident. I am. The the Democrats are so bad at so many things, and it's not policy isn't the problem. The Democrats are terrible at marketing. They're awful at social media for the most part. Um, you've got, you've got intelligent, interesting state representatives that have 500 followers on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Because literally all they're doing is just sharing meeting minutes. The, the Democrats also eat their own, mm-hmm. which is a huge problem. And if, like, there are so many Democrats who don't understand the difference between your spouse and public transportation. Your spouse is supposed to be perfect for you. Your spouse is someone who, while, you know, there's compromise involved, mm-hmm. For the most part, this is the one that will be with you and agree with you on many things and challenge you, but also with respect, etc. And public transportation is a bus or a train you get on and it takes you where you're going and you get the fuck off of it. <laughs> and politicians are public transportation. They're not your spouse. Yes. And Democrats and Democratic voters keep being like, well, you know, I really like everything about this person except one thing he once said in 1982. Well, <laughs> shut up. That's not enough. Yeah, <laughs> so right. that's that's the problem, and that's what worries me. Yeah. Yeah, me too. And, uh, it, you know, I don't know. It, it's really difficult the, these days. I, I did this, like, open, I don't know, like, dear POTUS, and I just thought, what could I say? Uh, that I think other people are feeling. And, and really, like, in the middle of the night, I get up to do my business, and what's on my mind is the fact that we might lose 22, that white supremacy is going to win, and what kind of country is this going to become? I know what it is now, and I fear what it's going to become. But I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful from some of the things that you've just said, but, you know, we might have a tough ride in the interim because if we do figure a way out of this, it's not going to be anytime soon, and there's going to be a lot of shit that we're all going to have to deal with uh, because too many people are apathetic. And I, I wish, again, I, I put out this idea for this ground, this groundswell movement against white supremacy because it's if there was, you know, I just watched Dope Sick. Have you seen Dope Sick? I haven't, but I'm familiar with the premise. Well, it's, it, you know, it's, there's pushback against, I can't remember the name of the family um, that pushed uh, OxyContin, but it, yeah. it was, it was uh, the pharmaceutical company. And, you know, people would show up at state houses. They would, they would show up, you know, where somebody from the pharmaceutical company was going to be, and they'd do the thing where they all lie on the floor. And, you know, and I just thought, what if we... What if there was some kind of movement that, you know, it could be manufactured. It, 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 it doesn't necessarily have to be this organic thing, but it, that's why I bring up like this idea of a modern day Live Aid, something to kick everything off where you have a lot of famous people that can connect with these younger voters who are not interested in voting and make them aware. So I'm just throwing, and I'm going to continue to throw that out there to anybody who will even listen to me because I absolutely do not have the platform or the money to do anything like that, but you never know. I throw it out there and maybe it'll land on someone who, you know, like 
what's that guy who hangs out with Obama? I can't think of the guy's name, but he's that rich, the, the, the oligarch, well, well, he's maybe not an oligarch, but he's the wealthy guy with the blonde hair on the boat and everything. You know what I'm talking about? Richard Branson. Uh, Richard Branson. Okay. Like maybe Richard, Richard Branson. Branson was like, hey, I got all this money. I'm going to do this thing. So I don't know. You know, throwing it out there, <laughs> but for what it's worth. Um, every uh, every couple of years, um, Ben Glebe does uh, this thing called Telethon for America, mm-hmm. um, where the idea is it's the only telethon that's not supposed to raise money. It's just supposed to raise voting awareness. Oh, interesting. And, uh, you know, a lot of really big and famous people are in on that. Uh, so, you know, you might look into that yeah, and try to get involved and amplify and things like that. Yeah. Um, there are definitely movements already, but I think that the more and more people are pushed, the, the more and more they'll break. And mm-hmm. if you look at in the last couple of years, Jim Gaffigan, who was always apolitical. Yes. And Taylor Swift, who was yes. always apolitical. People who have huge influences over swaths of people that you and I don't reach, mm-hmm. they are getting more vocal and more political, and I hope it continues. Too, and yeah. there was a joke in Chris Rock's last special about how he's excited to see what comes after Trump because Bush gave us Obama, <laughs> so what is Trump going to give us? Right. Um, now, temporarily, just Joe Biden, but <laughs> uh, but the – the political discourse, the fact that I know the names of the senators in most states now, the mm-hmm. fact that I can tell you who someone's congressperson is mm-hmm. from across the country, like that's something that most people couldn't do before. True. And while I don't necessarily want to know that Tommy Tuberville is a senator in Alabama because <laughs> that's ridiculous, the fact is that I can say that and other people are like, yeah, I know that too. Right. Like that's something that most people didn't even know the difference between a senator and a congressperson. Mm-hmm. Now we're learning. And so I hope that it continues to inspire us to learn more and be more active. And and look, I'm an optimist, but I'm, you know, I'm not confident that 2022 is going to go well. Mm-hmm. But I also don't think we're we're at the breaking point yet. Okay, well, I'm going to hold you to that. <laughs> when All I wake right. up in the middle of the night and do my business, when you and I, when you and I are in the prison camp, you <laughs> remind me. I will. Oh my God, this has been such an interesting and fascinating conversation. I'm so grateful that you said yes to me and you're on this show. Um, before I let you go, though, why don't you tell everybody where to find you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, my social media is at Steve Hofsetter on pretty much everything. Um, in addition to the comedy special that I'm filming at my old grade school in Queens, New York on December 18th, um, on December 15th, if you're anywhere in the world, you can see me run the material for it. I'm doing that one last time. It is going to be a digital live stream of it. So you can watch from anywhere in the world. Um, and you can get tickets to either of those things at my website, stevehoffsetter.com. Very cool. So, of course, I'm author Kimberly, K-I-M-B-E-R-L-E-Y. Don't forget that extra E. All my books are on Amazon. Thank you so much, Steve. Thanks, Kimberly. Take care. Bye-bye.